Phoenix Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and we have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about lack of ISP choices in rural areas and how that's causing a new digital divide. Let's get into episode 29. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. I have nothing clever to introduce my two amazing co-hosts, Matt and Nate. How are you guys today? Well, I'm just clever just by saying cubicle Nate. That makes a clever opening right there. Very clever. Except Matt. Matt's clever like a cleaver. (laughs) He's always so cutting. No, Nate, I'm about as subtle as a hammer hitting a mirror. Get it right. There you go. I'm doing great. Thanks, Wendy. Like a brick through a windshield. Hey, I'm... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Only if it's yours, Sydney. Only if it's yours. Well, I mean, you have to be doing better than last week. Last week, you had absolutely nothing fun for us. But you have gotten to play some games on the Switch this week. Yes, I did. Because, you know, last week, not so much fun. Um, so this week, I've been playing a JRPG that came out on the Switch as part of a series called Xenoblade Chronicles, which originally came out. The first game came out on the Wii, so this is the third, sorry, fourth game in the series. Oh, fifth game, technically, if you count the prequel, but that's the side story stuff. Fun, open world-ish kind of JRPG. You know, obviously, I play it for the story more than anything else, so I really don't have a lot to say about it. I haven't put a lot of time into it, but at least I've been able to play some video games. Uh, that's been nice. I even got to play Michael with Splitgate. That was interesting. He's still terrible at video games. Just saying. Yeah, so am I. I mean, what can I say? Speaking of video games, is that Among Us going to happen? I mean, not to call you out now, but as I'm thinking about it. Right? <laughs> so here's the thing. When I post on the GameSphere channel, the Splitgate gameplay, you will hear me talk to Michael about me bringing that up. Oh. Therefore, you do have actual audio evidence of me bringing it up to Michael, who was in game playing Splitgate with me. And he said nothing. So, <laughs> that's on him. <laughs> I wish I would have made it to the last everybody in meeting. Same here. So that I could have brought it up then. But I couldn't make it to that meeting. We were busy with some family stuff. But I've got to bring it up with them next time we're all together. That's going to be a fun conversation. <laughs> No, that is definitely going to happen. So, again, you will hear me bring it up to Michael. I can't say I haven't been poking at it. It's just, well, Michael's a little forgetful sometimes, you know, with things like time and other stuff. It's kind of like Nate. If you don't write it down or stamp it on his forehead. And a full schedule? Yeah, I'm not going to give him that much credit because, you know, his hair (laughs) fits so geometrically perfect to his head. If he has to widen the camera (laughs) angle anymore, it's going to kind of off-center everything. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No, in fairness, Michael does have a lot on his plate, and I'm just giving Michael a hard time. But we will definitely discuss getting a gaming night of Among Us, yes. Listen, I don't want any broken promises from you, Matt. I've had so many broken promises in my life, but I can count on you for just about everything, so don't let me down, Matt. (laughs) So many comments I can't make. (laughs) (laughs) So there are two things that won't let you down, though, Nate. One of them is your Arch-based <laughs> gaming console, and the other is OpenSUSE, apparently. So OpenSUSE is the topic here of my little introduction. So I have a laptop. It's actually the for like primary driving laptops. This would be my, my third one. It's a laptop ago. It's a Dell Latitude E6440. Great machine. I still use it. It's not used as heavily as I once did, but I neglected it this summer, pretty much about June up until, well, this weekend. And I went to do an update on it and there were 4,280 packages to upgrade. There was one to downgrade. I didn't really understand that one. 344 new packages and 56 to remove. It took a long time because I have a lackluster internet, let's say. Once everything was downloaded, it installed pretty quickly. And I'm happy to report everything is working just as expected. And I just want to kind of brag about how happy I am with OpenSUSE Tumbleweed still after many years. 2017 is when I transitioned to OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. And it really hasn't let me down. I mean, there's been a couple of issues here and there. Pretty minor, really. You know, a bug report and then 
maybe you know a few days later, maybe a week later, it gets fixed. So there, I mean, there have been issues, you know, things like wonky Bluetooth when there were some transitions in the kernel or some other thing, you know, some other misalignment of packages. But quite honestly, it's it's been a great experience. That laptop is still kicking all on solid state storage now. I use it infrequently at this point, largely because my air conditioning situation. But anyway, I'm just very happy with that it's still working. It's still great. I haven't had to do a, a fresh install, I think, since like 2018, I, I think is when I put everything on solid state. And so it's been rolling ever since and quite happily. I just want to share that with the class because I have lots of cruft on there that I haven't cleaned off, like as far as applications and such. So it, uh, for whatever reason, whatever magic sauce they have going on in the open QA system, it's still kicking along great. It's really nice and you can have a piece of hardware that you don't touch for a very long time, pick it up, update it, and then you're good to go again. I know it's one of the reasons why I like Fedora too. I've never had an issue with long updates in Fedora. I have had some of those issues with Manjaro where... If it's not regularly updated, then there are certain conflicts and it won't let packages upgrade. But it's definitely not an issue I've had in Fedora either. And that's part of the reason why that's what's been used on the robotic systems. Because when they get updated, they get updated. And that way I don't really have to worry about it. Yeah, that's a good point. I think definitely for school systems, you definitely want to have something that you don't have to worry about faffing around with to make sure an update goes through properly. And I will say DMF does a great job of just firing all the packages through with the best possible outcome. I kind of wish Zipper was more DNF-ish in that regard. There's a little bit of intervention when you do wait so long. I'd like switch Mm -hmm. over some repositories. There was nothing that was a hang up. It's just like, do you want to use this repository or that repository? I want to use this one. A little extra work, but really not too bad. Right. It's not a lot of work. It was barely even annoying. So nothing like having to deal with Matt. So Nate, it sounds like your experience though is just like that of what you prefer on an Arch-based handheld. Well, you mean on a Steam Deck where I don't have to mess with Pac-Man? No, it's nothing like that. If I had to mess with Pac-Man, I wouldn't use it. Why don't you like Pac-Man? I mean, who doesn't like playing Pac-Man on an Atari emulator? I prefer genuine hardware. I mean, if we're going to be playing Atari, majorly is genuine hardware. I have it sitting right behind me right now. I just flick it on and doo 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 doo, and then off I go. Hope it works on a modern TV. <laughs> it does, actually. See, he just doesn't <laughs> like Pac-Man, you know. It doesn't matter if it's real Pac-Man or if it doesn't matter if it's, you know, art. So he's just got a thing against Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man is fantastic. So if we put MS Pac-Man, are you going to, do you find with that? <laughs> It'd be better. Speaking of Ms. Wendy. What do you get going on with the Ubuntu Summit? This is something uh, I've not heard you talk about before. I haven't talked about this before. Here a few episodes, I said that I was invited to go speak at a Linux conference, and it was the Ubuntu Summit. And I talked to my husband, and we'd got a whole bunch of things worked out, and I went to go put in my passport information So I could go to the Ubuntu Summit. It is November 7th through the 9th. And when I showed up on Friday, so the Friday before the day we're currently recording, I had all of my passport paperwork done. I had run my butt off that Friday trying to get everything that I needed, got my pictures done, my birth certificate. I showed up at home just in time for my birth certificate arrived. Literally told the kids like, after I'd been home for five minutes, that I am now leaving again to go turn in all of my passport paperwork. I couldn't even go to the office closest to me because the lady who processes passports wasn't there that day. So I had to go to the next town over, got there, made it just in time. When I called her, she said, if you're here by 3.30, then... I can go ahead and process your paperwork. I left my house at three. I got to the office, like walked through the door at like 3.28. Like I just made it by the skin of my teeth. (laughs) So I've got all this paperwork laid out in front of her. And there's an older gal behind the counter. And she's like, so where are you going? And I was telling her I want to go to Prague. And these are the dates of the conference. And she's like, oh, like I can visibly see her face and knew that she had bad news coming. And because my passport is a new passport, I've never had a passport before, and because they are so behind in processing that stuff that even if I expedited my passport, there was no way I was getting it in time to go. Incredibly bummed. Like, I was so disappointed that 
I was now no longer able to go to Prague for the Ubuntu Summit for this year. I have talked to Maru. He's the one that invited me to come speak. So even though I won't be going this year, it is looking like I will be doing an online version of the speech. I don't know if my internet will be fast enough. So the plan is to probably pre-record a talk and then be there for some live Q&A about those different things. So I'll still get to participate, just not at the venue, though I've already done so much work to get my passport done. Um, I'm going ahead and submitting all of that paperwork so that I will have my passport for next year. But that does include I need one more extra piece. And I know this is something that they have to do in other states. But in Idaho, I need my star card basically saying that I am a resident. I've turned in all this additional paperwork. So that'll let me board the flights here in the U.S. and then need my passport for then. So I've got a little bit more extra paperwork to do. Though I guess we can say it's a positive I can't go this year because I didn't even have bags that I could take on a flight. So not only was I needing a passport, but I'm also needing luggage to take on an airplane in general. So I'm not going this year, but I think anybody who can should go. This looks like a lot of fun. I've loved the things that Maru has mentioned this. So Ubuntu in the past has done the Ubuntu Developer Summit where it's really focusing on the development of software, writing the code. And this one is different. It is more focused on the community. What are people doing with Ubuntu? What are people doing with Linux? How can you make things like photo editing on Linux work, audio editing on Linux work, and all the different things that our community does successful on Linux is what the Ubuntu Summit is trying to highlight. I can't wait to see some of the talks. I know here pretty soon they are going to be accepting information on what people want to talk about that are going to the summit. So if you're in the area and you would like to give a talk, if you would like to go to the Ubuntu Summit, make sure you are checking the website in order to see when those spots are opening up so you can give a speech so you can go I wish I was going, but not this year, maybe next year if I ever get invited again. Well, that sounds like a bummer that you weren't able to go and get your passport and time and everything else. Seems like November is far enough away, but yeah, I get it. They said when I was in the office that the earliest I would get it with the expedite was mid-October, and that makes for a really, really expensive flight when you go to book it. And because of how late things have been, that it could be the week of the conference, even with the expedite that I received my passport. So it was just a no-go for this year. That's a super bummer. It'd been cool to meet Maru as well. He seems like he'd be a, a fun guy to hang out with. I absolutely think he would be. Maru, the Italian <laughs> lost in Taiwan. <laughs> well, you know, it's like he meant to go to Crete and the, and the boat took him too far. <laughs> Now, I must ask, what is your talk going to be on for the summit? Now, since I'm only going to be doing potentially one talk remote, it will be just on blending multiple images together. I think it'll still be fun, but nowhere near as fun as actually getting to be there. Personal experience going to self in the Southeast United States. I had a lot of fun meeting people face to face, actually putting like faces to voices and figuring out how tall people actually were. <laughs> I met Leviticus, quite a bit taller than I am. I'm not that short. Noah, shorter than I am. And then you meet the, the spouses or whatever, some of the family. Noah's wife is obviously a saint that she can tolerate him. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, deal with him. So, I mean, it was actually it was really neat and super nice people. Like, I did not meet one person at self that I thought, wow, they're really unsavory, which means that I was probably the unsavory person there. Well, no, Nate, you didn't meet any unsavory people because I wasn't there. So, therefore, it was a good time because you get enough unsavory comments and stuff from this me is true. during the show. Well, this is what I've been told. If you go into like a, an organization or a room, you know, a meeting, whatever, you determine that there is not one person in there that you thought was a big jerk. That means that you are the big jerk in that room. So, I realized that I was the big jerk there. Well, if you were there, then obviously there'd have been one jerk there, but you weren't there. <laughs> you know, there's a Steve Martin movie, The Jerk. I would have been that guy in the entire conference. We know. <laughs> Regardless of who's in the room. 
See? <laughs> See, everyone agrees. I'd have put a bunch of Open Seuss stickers on your back, you know, without you paying attention. And I would have plastered your entire laptop with nothing but art stickers. No, you wouldn't have. <laughs> it didn't come out that much, actually. I was just, I tried to be more, you know, engaged with people, not looking at my screen. Oh, don't tempt me. Now, Wendy, have you been to a Linux conference before? I've never actually gotten to go to one yet. So not only was this going to be my first flight, it was going to be my first international flight, plus my first conference, plus the first time going to Europe, really the first time leaving the country. Like I said, I've been to Canada once. It wasn't that far into Canada. It was before you even needed identification, really, of any kind to go. So I don't really think that that counts. This was going to be a super big trip for me. Like I said, it's not happening this year, but I am getting things set up. So if I do ever get asked to go again, that I will be already have all my paperwork lined out and can just say, yes, let's book the flight. Before the first time I flew, and I think it was to Oklahoma, I think. I watched the movie Final Destination like days before. Oh, I don't recommend bad. that. Just saying, I don't recommend it. Yeah, not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a mistake. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean's new app platform service. They help you build modern cloud-native apps for way less money. With App Platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever before with their simple, intuitive interface. Simply point App Platform to your GitHub or GitLab repository and let them do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, and container images. By running App Platform on their infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps the cost significantly lower than any of the other products out there. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure. As a Linux Out Loud listener and member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app with their app platform for free, and it gets better! DigitalOcean will give you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash dln. Again, go to do.co slash dln to get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. Now, one of the reasons that I'm going to have to pre-record my talk for the Ubuntu Summit is because I live out in the country And while there are four or five different internet companies that are available locally, really they're using all of the same technology. And once the towers get full, you end up with the same slow internet every single time. For the last few weeks, I haven't been able to use the recorded file at all when doing the editing for the show because it is so choppy. My internet has been in and out so bad on the uplink that I have not been able to use my recorded file. I have had to use my local file in order to get the show done. And I am just one of the many people out here using the internet and struggling with some of the speed variations. And I guess in some way, I'm pretty lucky. Like my speeds are slow, but they're definitely not as bad as they are in some rural areas My in-laws only have one option where they are, unless it's some of the really bad satellite internet. They've got one local option. It is what it is, and it's definitely not fast at all. Now, I know you live pretty rural yourself, Nate, and Matt, you're definitely not in the city either. Are these some of the issues that you are running into, people you know are running into? I do live in the country. By the country, I mean not in a city. I live in like a rural area. There's a small cluster of homes nearby, but most of it's just empty land, which is nice, actually. And the options here are limited. I can't get cable internet. Not that Comcast or Xfinity, whatever you call it, is all that great to begin with. But there isn't any sort of like real high speed option available. So yes, it is a problem. One, I do occasionally have issues when we record the show that all of a sudden my internet just kind of goes to garbage. And what I have is a dedicated cellular uplink. And that's largely affected by tower traffic and and weather conditions. 
I know I think you have something very similar as well, Wendy. Is that true? Yeah. Basically, I've got a little antenna on my roof and it's direct line of sight to one of the several towers around here where it is sending the signal back and forth. That's where my internet comes from. And like I said, the downside of that is when a company first comes in, then yeah, it's not a big deal. The speeds are pretty fast because there's not a whole lot of people on that same tower. And as people switch from the other ones and over, then your speeds really get bogged down. I would say with our current provider, it's definitely the best it's been for price. So we are supposed to be 20 megabits down and three up. Yeah, definitely nothing super exciting. But that's why I myself am looking forward to Starlink. So with our current ISP, our contract will be up in September. Towards the end of September, Starlink is now available for my area. So some of the bigger cities around here, it's not available for even big town next to me. And I think the focus really is on the smaller, more rural areas for people a little bit more spread out. Unfortunately, the price has definitely gone up to when I had first looked at it. So it's now like $600 for the overall package and $110 a month. Not necessarily looking forward to that, but we're already paying $90. From the numbers that I've seen crunched on it, I can expect somewhere around 90 megabits down and nine up. So we're not having a gigantic jump at all, but it'll still be triple my current upload speeds, which is where a lot of the issue comes up. People have talked about how they would love to see us do more of the live shows, which I would love to do more of the live shows. But you and I and the internet issues we have makes it very, very difficult to have a smooth running live show. The ones we've done in the past, the audio and the video are choppy that it's hard for people to actually understand what we're talking about. And so in order to enjoy the show at all, you still have to go back and listen to the one that's fully edited. The goal is to eventually hit that space where we have faster internet and can do that live show. But at this point, it's just not there. And with a world where so many people are streaming and doing different school from home, working from home, it is making it harder and harder even during the day to have those steady speeds. So like right now, my connection to Ennui is cutting in and out constantly. This is two o'clock in the afternoon for me. It should be the fastest internet times that I'm going to have because a lot of people are off work, but I'm still struggling with that in rural. I could go to the next little town over and it's really not a very big town and I could have high-speed internet there. But A, I don't want to live in town and B, there's still so many people, even though rural around me, dealing with some of these same connection issues. Yeah, so speaking as someone who I've grown up in a variety of areas, uh, I'm originally from Maine, so I definitely understand, Wendy, your pains and Nate, your pains. Uh, Maine had essentially two service providers. You had Verizon with DSL that they let go into total disrepair. They sold it to a company <laughs> called Fairpoint, which is terrible. <laughs> terrible. But that was basically the only option for a lot of people that live up in the northern portion of the state, which is very rural. And a lot of the places around southern Maine, uh, like outside of the the hub, you know, metropolitan hub of Portland, a lot of people, that's like one of your only options. <laughs> that where I'm at now, where I live, I'm in a weird situation because I live in around Amish country. And I have access to Fios, I have access to Xfinity, and there's access to Starlink. So I have access to the high-end stuff, but a lot of the people, once you get out of the town, it goes back to, you might be lucky to find DSL at best. I have like 200 down, and I think 
is it 20 up? I don't remember the exact up, but either way. So for me, I totally get the pains having experienced the range that is available. Where I am today, there is DSL, satellite, and dial-up that are available. Yeah, dial-up. Satellite is too expensive and it's metered. So I would use it up very rapidly and it basically it goes to a crawl and it's useless. The DSL here, I've used it before. The upload is so slow and unreliable that I could not do this show at all. It just would not be possible. I wouldn't be able to do Linux Saloon. Would not be possible. The dedicated cellular uplink is working most of the time for me. Sometimes it just goes sideways. Right. And it's so frustrating, especially when you need it. And even when, as you're talking, it's really funny because you're clipping in and out. And so I have to listen to the show back to know everything that you said about your situation. And that's frustrating. I know how frustrating it is. I am excited that Starlink will be here someday. I will definitely try it. I had to spend $500 for the satellite uplink hardware anyway here, which I do own, but it's warranty basically for the life of the service. So if anything breaks on it, at least be replaced. So the company's great, but I am spending over $100 a month on this dedicated uplink. Matt, because you live in or near Amish country, and I know that the Amish are ruthless hackers, so I know there's probably a threat there as well. <laughs> Ruthless, yeah. Yeah, Nate, to your point, as far as going from city or town to kind of that rural area, with me living around the Amish lands, shall we say, you drive, you know, five minutes out of town, and it's like, oh, there's no anything. <laughs> Big fields, not a whole lot of much else. So it's definitely interesting. Like, obviously, on the main roads, you'll see like power lines and all that stuff, but like, the extensions of those two that would normally carry, you know, any type of internet, be it cable, fiber, whatever, it's just not there. So a lot of it becomes DSL because all those companies care about is clusters of people because, you know, that's how they make their money. <laughs> I do find things like Starlink very intriguing. I'm going to be curious to see what you guys think of it when you guys end up getting it because I know that's both in your coming up futures for that. So for me, like right now, I'm on Xfinity just because of where I'm at. I would look at, you know, Fios, but I know Verizon well enough having been a customer at one point with them that you can get great speeds, but you're going to pay for them. And last I knew, Fios was looking mm -hmm. at being metered. I don't know if they finally backtracked on that or not. And I don't understand how you can be a general internet company and make it metered. Like I can understand to some extent on the cell phones, but when it is your home service, like, Nate, there's no way I could do a metered service on my home internet between everything that gets streamed, doing these shows, um, doing all kinds of stuff with the laptop. When I need to be able to download a new ISO so I can get a system working, I don't want to have to worry about how much data is this using and I'm going to have enough to get through the month. So that's definitely why none of the other satellite systems work for me or work for so many other people these days. In the beginning, I think the satellite had their place because there really was no other option. And it's not like you're getting super fast internet with the typical satellite. Anyway, the pings are just so incredibly long that you're not using them for anything other than checking some email, viewing some text kind of things, because waiting for videos or their large image files to download just isn't efficient with the typical satellite connection. The difference with Starlink is while, yes, it is still satellite, it is a low Earth orbit satellite, and that kind of helps with that ping and your speeds. You can have decent speeds, and I say quote-unquote decent speeds. Part of the reason why we went ahead and switched providers before, while I'm currently in a construct right now, is because I would time and time again try to go to the pine64.org website. Now, that is not a United States-based website, and because my ping was so bad, it was constantly timing out. I could go to the Pine64 store, but I could never get to the pine64.org unless I was on cellular data because of that ping just would not let it load. So those times matter. And I'm speaking from someone who is very network illiterate, I would say. The other issues with bad internet besides podcasting woes is there are many applications that require some sort of a cloud service. Like, for instance, G Suite. Not that I'm endorsing Google, but one of my 
side hustles that I do requires me to use G Suite pretty regularly for the purpose of maintaining information in a spreadsheet as a method of coordination and so forth. And having bad internet with something like G Suite, I mean, can actually shut you down entirely and you can't even do that sort of work. So in being in a rural area, not having access to the internet can quite literally shut down your productivity entirely. Now, for the most part, it seems that that has not been an issue for me as of late, but there was some time there that I couldn't actually get work done And if I can't get work done because of bad internet, I'm not making money. And if I'm not making money, I'm not putting food on the table. If I'm not putting food on the table, then I have angry kids. And if I have angry kids, they might, you know, light me on fire. And that's all just not going to work out well for me. And it doesn't take long before kids are like, oh my gosh, we need to eat three times a day. Mom, where's the food? That's only three times a day for you, huh? That's nice. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Matt, probably affects you more than it does me, although it does affect me because uh, Fortnite, which was popular for a while in the house, you have to have good internet to be able to do any kind of gaming. So low latency network play is is necessary. If not, like you're spinning and everyone's just shooting you, apparently. It seems like I die. Yeah, when you have a high ping, it equals bad, Nate. And since my internet is in and out, like the quality is in and out, it's persistent, but not persistently good. You know, I can only sometimes in some parts of the day do any kind of network play, like with my kids, you know, we'll have like gaming or whatever. We actually can't do it in the evening, which would be the best time to do it. If we're going to do some family gaming like Fortnite, we have to do it kind of like around two o'clock in the afternoon because it seems like nobody's on, you know, the, the cell towers aren't real busy at that time. But in the evening, very often that thing, it'll just be bogged down because people are probably streaming something on the interwebs, YouTubes, whatever. So it makes it hard to, to do anything in the evenings. Unless you do real late night, but I'm not going to do real late night. That's just not going to happen for me. But also I can't actually use Twitch. Twitch is not possible. I can't actually watch things on Rumble sometimes during the day either because that's also not possible. YouTube seems to work. I have a better tolerance for less good internet. But some of these platforms do not have good internet. So you just can't watch those things. You can't access those things very well at certain times of day. It's kind of frustrating. If you can't watch Twitch, you're really not missing anything. Just saying. I'm not a Twitch guy. There are uh, some retro tech channels. They stream some of their working on things. It was nice for a while to have it on just kind of in the background, you know, as they go through their struggles, kind of watching some of their struggles. I've enjoyed that. I don't really watch it for people gaming unless I know the person and I feel like I'm sitting on their virtual couch and just chatting with them. Or, you know, if it's like GameSphere and... Oh, I almost was a bad name. Well, <laughs> problem is GameSphere doesn't stream to Twitch. So I can sit on your virtual couch and I control you and it's a lot of fun. It doesn't buffer on me. I, I think it's probably a little bit behind. Wait, wait, wait. No, you don't control me. No, 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 I can, no, no, no. I can no, sit no, on your no, virtual no. couch. Hold on. No, and you don't control, control. <laughs> you. Troll. Not, oh, not troll. I, con- I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Control you. No, no, no. I would never want to control you. That'd be like the worst RPG game in the world if I'm controlling Matt. Yes, I would be sitting in front of a vintage <laughs> Commodore 64 doing things. Could you? you imagine like an rpg like kind of like sim life but you're you play no, the part no. of uh, matt that would be a lot of fun i think i would pay money serious money for that game you have to go to his job do all these things that'd be, that'd be fun <laughs> oh dear lord 187 hour rpg <laughs> and like if you don't get rest you like you start to bump into things you know like you can't actually control it, it becomes like you're inebriated or something along those lines So to your point, as far as gaming, you are correct. But then again, I also don't generically, even as a PC gamer, you know, Steam gamer, whatever you want to call me, primarily when it comes to like console games and stuff, I'm very much in that I buy physical games mentality still just because I there's a level of where I don't mind having the connection or that connection being required so much as like on the Steam end of things. But I also buy physical still because I don't want to solely rely on all my entertainment to not be around me or unusable or unapproachable or, you know, whatever, because my Internet is down, which happens quite frequently because construction, weather, take your pick, something happens. And it's really obnoxious. But the biggest thing is, I think this ends up doing is creating a much bigger digital divide for a lot of the accessibility to information for a lot of people. Like, you know, at one point, the digital divide was getting technology into the hands of kids and stuff so that they had an equal opportunity to experience, you know, the software and the hardware and all that kind of stuff. Now, the importance of the internet as a platform and access to the information or bad information that can be on it is almost a requirement for certain levels of functionality in society, unfortunately. Pros and cons on either end. But I think that lack of good ISPs in rural areas does create a 
harder time for some people to understand the value of what it can provide with a full experience. So like full speed internet, you know, not dealing with a lot of the, like you were mentioning, Nate, not dealing with the issues with streaming and not dealing with the issues of trying to do a podcast or whatever. And having those tools available to those groups of people in rural areas is really, really important. And I think ISPs only looking at it from a monetary value. You guys like loopholes, jump through some tax loopholes because you know your lawyers are going to find it. I think the education piece is actually pretty huge. A lot of things, a lot of resources have gone online. It's just the way of things right now. And that digital divide does have an effect on educational resources in rural areas. I can mitigate a lot of it. It's not huge for me, but it does become a problem from time to time. And it's just frustrating. I'm hoping that with Starlink, that's right now the only hope I see on the horizon, that maybe someday I can have first class or even even second class internet, I think would be pretty great. Uh, I mean, I think maybe I probably have somewhere between second and third class internet right now, but I do pay for it. Because of some of the things you guys were talking about and rural and some kids having internet at home and some not, because of some of the prices we're talking about right now, our internet isn't fast, but it's still pretty gosh dang expensive. It's one of the reasons why it's harder for Bill to find open source solutions or bring open source solutions into a lot of schools. They want to be able to use the Chromebooks where when the kids don't have internet, they can still create their documents. And then when they get to school or whatnot, then they can automatically be uploaded to the cloud and the teacher can then see and work with those documents. At this point, internet is a vital part of our day-to-day stuff. It's how we find information. Yes, you can go to some of your libraries in order to get that, but it is affecting some of the choices that are being made in schools. It's definitely affecting some of the choices that we're making here on this show, and it is definitely affecting the way that some of the people enjoy their pastimes, their downtimes, whether it's gaming, whether it's streaming, what are those options? How is my internet working? And is it going to be down in general today? I know it's another good reason to bring up some of the things that you guys love, which is local media on your local network, but then you're dealing with setting up or paying for that server in the first place to get going. What does that look like for all of you listeners out there? How do you listen to the show? What is your internet like where you are? Do you have a whole lot of options? Is high speed available, easy for you to get? Or are you like me and Nate where you have only a couple options or you have a handful of options, but every single provider is essentially the exact same ISP? We'd love to hear from you on this topic. Make sure you're dropping us a line. Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password, as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe. From me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes 1 gigabyte of encrypted file storage, 2-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, and Priority Customer Support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Lennox Out Loud. Magneto out. The last conversation was not all fun and games, but you have a brand new game for Game of the Week. Matt, take us into it. So Game of the Week, Nate, you might have heard of this game, or at least the series anyway. Prince of Persia. Of course I've heard of this game. But have you played the 2008 version of Prince of Persia? No, it's too new. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. This is a remake or reboot, re you know, remaster, reimagining, however you want to word it, of the 2002 reboot, reimagining, relaunching of Prince of Persia: Sands of Time. Which, Nate, I know you've played, you had a, a PS2, so you can't say that's too new. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's too new. Because <laughs> it came out in 2002, it was 20 years ago. Don't start. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> 2002 is not 20 years ago. Well, it's still 1999 to you, so... The 90s was only like five years ago. So you're saying now would be 2002. Stop shooting holes in my... <laughs> that's what I thought. In my statements. <laughs> <laughs> totally illogical. Anyway, this particular game is a reimagining um, of the original 2002 game series. It has a very colorful art style. Um, it's more of a, it's supposed to be a third person adventure game with like run, mm -hmm. jump element, you know, puzzle platformer kind of stuff. The combat is more what they call QTE or quick time events. If you like a good story, I actually think the uh, the story on this is actually, honestly, for me, better than the 2002 game. Some people will find that not true, but for me, I enjoyed it far more. Nice and fluid, and it does play on Linux. So, just saying. Uh, I have it on GOG. Um, I also have it on Steam, but the GOG one was for back when I still had a Windows machine, which, <laughs> FYI, I don't anymore. I like this game. I've beaten it a couple different times. I played it when it first came out. Uh, I played it probably a year or so ago. The art style is definitely nice, and it, the game was actually fairly cheap. GOG, I think currently it might be only 10 bucks. So it's definitely worth getting in my opinion. I think it looks absolutely fantastic. I watched the little trailer instead of paying attention to you and I think it looks pretty great. This is something, although fairly new for a guy like me, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I really would like to buy this. You are such an enabler. Hey Nate, I just made the suggestion whether or not you click the purchase button, that's on you. I bake some chocolate chip cookies. Just because you smell them doesn't mean you have to eat them. Exactly. I love the art style in this. And as far as games go, this is probably one of the most wallet-friendly games not on sale than any of the others you've shared in the recent weeks of Game of the Week. It looks like it's pretty gosh dang light. You know, it is an older game, but it looks like it's really light as far as what it requires to even run it at all yeah so the requirements i believe if i remember the minimum requirements it's like two gigs of ram and like a intel core 2 duo something yeah it's two gigs of ram a dual core 2.6 gigahertz intel pentium d or check this amd athlon not much at all pretty basic as far as that goes it comes in quite a few different languages has controller support now, is this more of a battle game or would this be like the last game, which was more of a puzzler? Is this more of a puzzle game with a little bit of fighting or mostly fighting? This I would put in the realm of a, Nate, you might know this, like a Ratchet and Clank type of game, more puzzle platformer, but in a, like a 3D environment. Um, there is actually like combat, but the combat is very simplified there's not a lot to it you can quote unquote die but you have almost like an instant retry so it doesn't really matter that's one of the gameplay mechanics they tried to make this particular game when they re rebooted it much more story focused accessible game to like people who weren't really familiar with games as a you know genre of interest and stuff so i wonder about some of those moves that the guy took when fighting the I'm assuming some kind of boss. Looks like some kind of a button masher to me of a game, but you say it's not. Okay. It's really not. Like, there's literally button prompts that you do. <laughs> and you push the button to go with said coordinated button. That's the extent you. of the combat. It's very cool, nonetheless. And Nate, go See, by. Enabling. See, you're whispered. Not only did you make the chocolate chip cookies, but you're saying, here, why don't you taste one? Just one. Just have one. First one's free. No, I'm just telling you to go buy it. I'm just first telling you to free. go buy it. I didn't say I the first one was free. I'm just telling you to go buy it. I'm saying you're an enabler. So while I'm enabling things behind the scenes, Nate, apparently there were some things behind the scenes at the county fair. In, in a way of marking the cages that my kids' words were in for the fair and so forth, I have had extra little cubicle Nate cubicle labs logos this didn't have the penguin with the open susa logo on it just the circuit pattern with the cube and i had those behind the different cages so if somebody said which ones are yours i could tell them which row to go down it says look for a circular kind of um circuity looking logo so i didn't have to explain it 
And so I had it behind all the all the cages, and it kind of looked like maybe the, the chickens were joining the Borg, you know, with the if it was behind the head or whatever. It was just kind of a fun little thing for me to do, a tie-in to my Cubicle Nate persona into the county fair that nobody, probably 99.999% of people would have no idea what it is or even care, but it brought a smile to my face, and the kids liked it too. They thought it was kind of fun. And it's the exact same logo I have in front of my Cubicle Labs at the road, so in the drive coming up to it. Anyway, not a huge thing, just a little side thing I want to share, and it's something to kind of join my online life into my uh, the Hillbilly County Fair fun that I did get to have. Did you have anybody ask you what it was? Yeah, I did. I had quite a few people saying, so what's that sign, that, that logo that you have behind the chickens? And I said, uh, well, it's my logo I use. Like, oh, okay. And that was it. <laughs> that was it? They didn't ask any more questions about no, what not does really. it mean? What is it for? Wow. I've had people ask me what it means. The post office lady who drops off my uh, my mail, she asked about... Oh, what does that sign mean? I said, well, if you know what it means, you know what it means. If you don't know, you don't know. That's what I said to her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So how are you supposed to get anybody word of mouth if you don't tell them what oh, it I means? Oh, I don't want any word of mouth at this point. Okay. I don't know. I'm not, not now. When I start actually making money back here, it'll matter. But until any of the, any products go out the door, I don't, I'm not going to worry about it yet. But like, you know, if I have a truck pick stuff up, I can, it's a look for this. It's easy to to identify. And are you still a ways off of that CNC machine actually being up and running? Not too far off. There's a few other things that had to be done before I would say I'm ready to put it in full operation. But yeah, should be soon. With all the other things I'm juggling, it'll get there. I understand that for sure. I mean, I'm never busy. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Right. Never busy. Robotic Wendy. <laughs> Wendy, I see that you are playing with Sync Thing. How is that going for you? Yes, I'm taking the suggestion that you gave me last week and putting it to work. And you're right. There definitely are some extra steps in getting it set up. So right now I have it running on my desktop computer, the kitchen computer, and then I've got the two robotics laptops. And the main purpose as kind of an update or a refresher for setting up SyncThing was so that as kids are working on files, those Python files are being shared between the different systems. Now, on each of the two robotics laptops, there is a teacher account and a student account. So I can do updates, I can do the maintenance on things, but it limits the access the kids have on messing with stuff on the system itself. Now, one of the issues that I'm already running into with sync thing is that I've got the two different profiles and it has to be online in order to sync across. So I'm logged into the teacher account, but there is the student account underneath it. And if I only have this laptop turned on and nothing else, so we're working at co-op say, and we've got this laptop on, but the other one's not being used, it's turned off. And of course, my computer is off at home. It's not being sunk across any of the devices. I get home, go to fire up my computer, and the two robotics laptops aren't on. That file isn't getting transferred across. Like SyncThing is really relying on all of these different devices being online for that file to be shared across all of them and updated. So that right now is the biggest downside, and I'm trying to figure out how best to work around that. Now, one of the things that I first thought was maybe I could set up a digital ocean droplet and have that being able to relay those files back and forth, but they're not very big files, and the cheapest droplet I can get is like five bucks, and I don't necessarily want to spend five bucks a month on this. So I need another way to make that work. I have a suggestion. I would love to hear it. What I do is I have a server in my house that does a lot of, you know, servery things. And one of those things it does do is stay on all the time with the sync thing business. So it's always synchronizing my stuff. So if the computer is off that I'm using and I do something on my phone, it's still going to synchronize to the server and come back to my computer when it turns back on. So I do have that set up. You could... Since it's not very much data anyway, you could probably set up something like a Raspberry Pi or an old laptop or something that just stays on and all it does is do the sync thing business in the background if you don't have like your main computer on because it's, you know, uses more power or whatever, or you just don't want to keep it on. We could have 
one system setup that all it does is do sync thing stuff. And then you can always see if it's on or not you know, with the interface, like when you're doing school or when you're on your computer. That would be my suggestion. It works for me. And it's actually been how I've kept things synchronized when things do turn on and off is I do have one machine that does stay on and continues to do the relaying of the files. Yeah. And I have everything around the house to be set to go to sleep at a certain time. So I would have to have a dedicated machine to do that. And I think you're right. The Raspberry Pi would probably be the best option for that. For one, if it's just running as a sync thing relay, it doesn't necessarily have to have a screen attached to it all the time. And on top of that, it'll probably be one of the most cost-effective options just to get it up and running right now. Simple to set up. You've done it now. You just have to synchronize everything to it as well. But now that you've done that, you see it's a simple process. It is a multi-step process, but quite simple. I wonder if I could use the Raspberry Pi that I already have. I don't know that I necessarily could because I've already got it running with Pi-hole and Unbound, but I might be able to just add sync thing on top of that. Now, there's not a ton of storage on this device, but it is one of the higher end models. It's the Raspberry 4 with 8 gigs of RAM. Like there's still plenty of room in that. It might actually be able to do the job for me right now. That is quite possible. It, it wouldn't take much. I don't know how to set it up terminal alone. I've always used the user interface, the graphic user interface, but I'm sure there's enough tutorials out there or step-by-steps for doing it in the command line as well. Yeah, I've always used the GUI myself so far and setting everything up. I'm not necessarily afraid of the terminal. Obviously, that's how I got my pie hole and unbound setup. So I will go looking for some ways to do that on my current Raspberry Pi, because that way I could have the one Pi still doing multiple things. I can have that up and running this week, make sure everything is syncing properly across all of the devices before we even get to robotics and putting things together for the very first time. The other thing to consider too, when you're in your house, I don't know what your firewall rules are for your laptops, but they're are ports for local discovery with SyncThing. So it won't actually use any of your internet connection if they are on the same network and you can have things synchronize locally as needed. And I have that set up here and that saves a lot of internet bandwidth, but I I use SyncThing very heavily. Yeah, I was really kind of frustrated with it as far as like making sure the file was synced across the board. And I'm so glad I bring this stuff to you guys, especially where you've had experience with that. Because using the pie hole like solves all of my problems. It means that I don't have to have these files syncing to my phone, which is kind of where I was thinking I would have to go because it would typically always be connected. But I don't want more stuff on my phone. Like it seems like I've got enough on there. I don't want those files on there too. The Raspberry Pi is always on because it is literally what helps run my internet. So why not take this piece of hardware that I already have that I'm already underutilizing and add another task to it? Yeah, I think that'll work quite nicely. Now it's your turn to drop in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or use the contact form by visiting textdigital.com contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and Linux Saloon, plus more at TuxDigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting Tux Digital merch store, grab yourself some awesome swag, like the gamer-centric I Pause My Game to Be Here shirt, or join Team Wendy with some sinister Wendy swag. Ryan sent me a picture of someone that was at... The Linux Fest in California who had some Sinister Wendy swag. Awesome. I love seeing stuff like that. I can't wait to see more. Thank you very much. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. 